You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. We are so excited each week to bring you content that is not just for rural pastors and leaders, but it is by rural pastors and leaders. We try and make sure that week in and week out, we are talking to voices that are not just speaking to your context, but absolutely get what it is to do God's work in a small place. I'm your host, Joe Epley. And this week, we are continuing and wrapping up our discussion on rural mindsets, right? Uh, The way that the rural church sees the world, the way that we do ministry, the things that you tend to find in the rural church, um, good, bad, and otherwise. This week, I am excited because uh, we get to interview my boss of sorts, if you will. We are on the uh, call right now with Dwight Sandoz, who is the um, Director of Rural Advancement, Director of this organization and this podcast, And he has such an awesome set of insights from his career um, in rural ministry and all the different roles he's filled. And I'm going to let him tell you more about that. But for now, I just want to say, Dwight, how are you, man? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm excited, uh, as we do every week, and, and especially for this podcast, since you are, again, the Director of Rural Advancement, I'm excited for people to get familiar with a bit of your ministry journey and a bit of your uh, background in rural ministry. And so why don't you take a few minutes here and just uh, tell us, what has your journey with the rural church been like? Well, thank you, Joe. Um, As I think about rural, I'm almost a poster child of rural life. I started school in a country school. There were six of us in the school when I started, two siblings and three cousins and me. Uh Uh, The school grew the next year and doubled, but Half of those were also cousins that moved to the area. So when we grew to 12 kids, we later moved from Nebraska to South Dakota, back to a similar area where I was born. I graduated in high school, the top 10 in my class, because there were only 10 in my class. I went to Trinity Bible College, which was a, in a rural uh, setting for Bible education. My early church experiences were in a rural church. The town at that time was about 300 people about 10 miles away from where we lived. Everything about my life has mostly been in a rural setting. The largest town I've ever lived in was a town of less than 5,000 oh, wow. people. So that's uh, that's kind of our, our rural pedigree. I pastored a, a rural church in a declining community. The sign said 970 when we went. The next population count, it said 810. The next one, it said 790. So typical declining rural environment is where we did most of our ministry. And then, of course, in district leadership and in leading the rural masters in rural advancement. So our our life journey is rural. And my wife's life journey, she grew up on a ranch west of a town that's now about 500 people. She was uh, grew up on a cattle ranch. Our journeys in our life are rural people and rural hmm. environments. Well, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, And I love that you've had such a diversity of perspectives, all while remaining uh, firmly latched in the orbit of the rural church, you know, even as a, uh, you know, superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Nebraska, again, talking to rural pastors, rural places, rural leaders, uh, now a rural masters where you're coming in contact with, again, rural pastors, places, people and leaders. 
Um, I think it's it's cool. I'm excited to dive into this podcast because um, what a wealth of potential here to talk about. And uh, so second part of this question, I always love asking people, why do you value the rural church? Well, I have several reasons I value the rural church. Um, rural churches tend to produce a high number of people for uh, ministry service. When we got to know Delon Rance, former director of the uh, intercultural studies at Evangel University, AGTS. Delon came from a little town of Eglin, North Dakota. The town declined so much that the church merged with Kendu, a neighboring church. But in its life and time, between pastors, spouses, missionaries, and spouses, I believe there was either 46 or 47 people went to ministry wow. out of one small town church. It's hard to rival that kind of number. And, and even, even many of the churches I was connected with, I believe in Nadine's youth group, they're uh, just the youth group in that town of less than 600. There are eight people in ministry today out of one oh, youth wow. group. So my sense, uh, the ability for the rural church to touch its community and the ability for a church to raise up people who eventually uh, launch into some kind of pastoral or other ministry is really strong. Yeah, no, those are both great reasons. And I, I love hearing that uh, statistic about that one church in North Dakota, because when you look at it on paper, it just shouldn't happen that way. And yet there it is, you know, with all these pastors and leaders and missionaries, that's so much fun. Let's uh, let's dive into our topic for today. Um, so we've been talking about rural mindsets. I've called this series "The Good, the Bad, and the Godly" because um, a lot of people have described rural as not just a place you live, but a way that you see the world. And um, with that definition comes kind of these mindsets, these attributes of rural churches, things that stand out in a positive way. And we say, "Wow, that's what a strength of the rural church." And there's other things that. Uh, might stand out in a negative way and say, man, here's some stuff that, that we find in the rural church frequently, but maybe we still as leaders could lovingly critique, could work through. And then finally, as we kind of got to look at your life, I would love to hear uh, some of that godly wisdom that you've acquired that you feel like could speak to the rural church. So let's start this out. What is a good mindset or a couple of good mindsets that you have seen uh, play out, especially in the rural church? Well, the rural church is a rural community. It tends to be a very relational community and ministry is all about relationships. When I would explain that to people in more urban environments, they would say, well, we're relational too. And I only acquired the language to describe one aspect of that a few years ago when we were taking classes at AGTS about the whole, the way relationships work in a rural context. I think of my friend, Ron, who pastors in a town that I think the sign says close to 300 people. But Ron's wife is the school secretary. Ron is a volunteer ambulance driver. He announces football games. He announces the annual rodeo at the county fair. And he serves on the airport board. So if you draw a line from every person in town who knows Ron or his wife, Cindy, it almost touches every person in that mm. setting. And then if you draw a line from everyone to everyone else in that community, it looks like a spider web because there's so much relationship and so much connection. 
there's an old saying that doesn't apply so much today when newspapers aren't so common, but the saying kind of helps us get a picture. And, and the saying works like this. In a small town, everyone knows what everyone else does, but they read the local newspaper to see if they got caught. Uh, there's this whole, everyone knows everyone. And uh, I've said about Ron's church, uh, the name of the church is Bethel. If a young Catholic family that may not have been to church in a very long time were to show up and attend church with Ron, the, the parents of that Catholic family would know before they got home from church that they had visited Ron and Cindy's church because everyone knows what everyone else does. Uh, they know the license plates, numbers on your car. Oh, they go, that's that, that's their car. That. So there's this, uh, it's living life in a spider web of relationships. It really keeps us in a glass house to some degree that can be a challenge. It also can be a huge blessing, but, but that's a unique thing about rural is there's so many relationships and they're so intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. And, and my friends that live in a city, you know, they probably know each other at church and may run into each other occasionally other places. Uh, but if, if whether it's at the post office or the lumber yard or the hardware store or paying your electric bill, almost everyone you encounter in a rural setting is somebody that you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, I really love that you said that glass house concept because because it is a challenge, but it also is a huge blessing. You know, there's a there's almost a sense of like forced humility. Like you can't, you know, that you're like, man, I I can't as a pastor, like I can't go off the rails here because people are going to notice right away. You know, it's it's forced accountability. But as soon as we get over kind of the intimidation of that. I feel like maybe it turns into something that's actually refreshing. It's yeah, I, I, I do have to just kind of live what I preach and back up what I say. And, and, and I've, I know I've been thankful to my rural community for that kind of, you know, concept and that kind of, I don't even know if pressure is the right word, but you know, but I really like the, the, what you said there. And, and the, the authenticity that's required, you know, if, if you in your setting, or where you've talked about, where you're connected with your in-laws and the ministry. If you don't do hospital care and follow up and kind of the shepherd pastoral side of ministry, well, everyone in town will know that's the church that the pastor does at shepherd. Well, yeah. it's, it's not like you won't be known for that. Everyone will know that that's what you did or didn't do. If you become a great guy at preaching funerals, uh, one of our students that just joined us has uh, been in one town 34 years, and he is known as the pastor that preaches funerals incredibly well. And he does sometimes a couple funerals a week because he, the person who loves people well, he understands their history. He, he tells the stories of their life. His narratives wrap together masterfully. All of those things are known when you're in a small town. And I wonder, too, if it kind of contributes to uh, how we see leaders develop. Because, again, if, a, you know, because you're in a small town, you're pulling people wherever you can to serve and to grow and to grow into leadership. But for better or for worse, uh, they won't be able to hide their flaws or insecurities either. And so either they will grow and become these leaders that God's called them to be, or the small town system, if you will, will naturally show us, you know, like, Hey, here's, 
here's some flaws that either can or can't be worked through at this time, but just because of that sheer proximity. My friend Dennis Markhart just retired last year as a district superintendent in the northern New England, which includes Maine, Vermont, that area. His first church he took was in uh, Mott, North Dakota, a tiny town. That was a German branch church at the time. But his last church he pastored before being superintendent, uh, Dennis was there in a town of 2,500. He was there for 25 years. And he and Bevy Joe. Uh, raised and released 25 people for ministry. Those are hard things to duplicate in any place but a small town. And and he developed a whole environment that expected people to uh, launch into ministry out of mm. the church. That's exciting stuff. Well, hey, uh, man, we could continue on that route. It's really getting me fired up. But I want to take uh, a turn in the conversation, uh, as I mentioned on previous weeks of this series, kind of this compliment sandwich, if you will, because there are mindsets in the rural church that make it the place we value, we love. And yet sometimes we find things that even we as rural ministers live, breathe, eat. It's it's a common thing. And yet it's maybe not always the healthiest mindset to have. And so let's dive into maybe a loving critique of a part of the rural church that you've noticed that you would love if, you know, we could encourage or grow or be challenged to grow past in a sense. Sometimes a rural church can have a strong personality that can be very challenging for our pastors to lead. And that personality can, can at times uh, hinder a church's potential and growth. Now, that doesn't happen as often, actually, as as rumors are that, you know, there's these difficult people in the rural environment. You know, certainly in our rural environment, these people were like grandmas and grandpas to our kids. They loved our family. Uh, They invited us out to eat on a regular basis. We were thoroughly loved and thoroughly connected. But there are some challenging times with strong people. And in a rural church, if you don't handle those people well, as we mentioned earlier, everyone in town knows that you didn't handle those people well. So uh, there, there's some challenges with those things. And one of the pieces I, I never learned in uh, my Bible college training was how do you lead with that person who goes off in a meeting and uh, their behavior doesn't at all re- reflect biblical Christianity. I was sort of caught in the middle a few times as a young leader. And oftentimes when you're a young leader, there weren't people just there, your parents' age that were board members. They were your grandparents' age. So you're in your late 20s and they're old enough to be your grandparents. And and how do you refute that strong person who's behaving in a way that doesn't really look like biblical Christianity. There's some challenges that aren't always there. Uh, Certainly, I I face some of them and other uh, leaders on occasion face in a rural setting. Yeah. And uh, would you care to elaborate? You know, I know that uh, as soon as you said that, I thought, man, yeah, if I had one or two practical steps on on how to lead those people, that would be huge. And so could we maybe detour into that for a second? What are what are just a couple of things that you managed to pick up about leading those difficult people? I have much better skills than I did. I don't know that you ever, uh, first off, if you look forward to that kind of a meeting, you're something wrong with you. you know? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was an old cigarette advertisement years ago that said, I would rather fight than switch. <laughs> and, uh, 
uh, we don't have that mindset. However, I've come to see the church is really a place that should be under the lordship of Christ and the authority of scripture. So if we do ministry under the lordship of Christ and authority of scripture, a good way to approach a situation where you're in a board meeting and somebody begins to act off in a way that they shouldn't, or in another meeting, as a pastoral leader or another leader in the church, I think how we should approach things is appealing to the lordship mm -hmm. of Christ, the authority of scripture, not to the strength of our personality. So I've known some strong personalities that say, I'm the pastor and you can't act like that. That sort of response rarely has a positive mm -hmm. outcome. We can turn that into a positive outcome if we say something like this, my dear brother, what I just saw you do doesn't at all reflect my understanding of scripture. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, faith. I, I didn't see any of that. And so when we're conducting this meeting, scripture is the guideline. Mm -hmm. And Christ-likeness is a guideline. And I didn't see Christ-likeness. So here's what I'm going to do as the chair of this meeting, because in most of our right, governance right. formats, chair of the meeting, as long as you behave in that manner, I am not going to recognize you to speak because this church will be governed by biblical principles. I think that's a much better approach. And then you have to have a conversation afterwards that meets in a, I like to meet in a public private place. If I can, can we go out for coffee? And uh, it tends to work better for me to do that and say, let's talk about what happened the other night. Your, your behavior was kind of off the rail. Uh, I, I can't reconcile your behavior with anything I understand in scripture. I, I find a solution to me that works. And I, I think it works not just for me, but for other people as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, those are two, two very practical points. Because again, yeah, we all notice the difficult personalities, but how to engage well is, uh, is an interesting thing. And so thank you for shedding some light on that. One other thing that... Um, I've heard said, and it's really, really important to embrace this, I think. Uh, keep your friends close and your, we shouldn't have enemies in church, but that challenging person, keep them closer. I, I know that there's a temptation to marginalize that person after they've gone off in the meeting, after they behaved in ways that were really challenging for mm. us to deal with. Marginalizing that person and and not talking to them and staying away from them and kind of muttering under our breath every time we see them. That's not helpful for anybody in the equation. Yeah. And what a challenge, because again, it, it would be so easy. It would be so easy to say, well, that, that has been a difficult person. I'd rather not, but, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying about that relational nature, that spider web of, Hey, you know, good or bad or otherwise, you can't just ignore this person. Do you have time for a brief story? <laughs> Probably let's go for it. Uh, there was a, a person that was not just difficult for me, but difficult for most of the pastors that were in this small church before me. His, his brother had planted the church, and he felt like he was a custodian to kind of keep the church going in place. And, and so anything that he didn't care for, he was real vocal about that. And uh, it was just, just multiple levels of challenge for me as a young leader. He was so tight. I, I and just so controlling of, of pieces. But um, we worked through the relationship. And of course, I was there until he passed away. But about a year, 18 months before he passed away, he said, could you 
plan on spending the day with me. I'll have my wife pack a lunch. We'll drive. I'll show you some of my life and history. So he, he showed me his life history, told me about the tragedy of his life, painful things, things that happened. We spent the day driving. We ate the lunch his wife had packed together. And this is a man who had given some challenges to most of the pastoral leaders, including me. And my personality is pretty strong and his personality is pretty strong. And at the end of that day, he reached over from his driver's seat position. I was in the passenger seat, squeezed my knee and said, Pastor, I'm telling you the things that I would tell a son if I had one. Oh, wow. I believe it's worth us investing in those people. And keeping the relationships with those people current. I'm just sitting back and reflecting on, on yeah, what a powerful lesson by example. Because I think it's easy, us, it's easy for us as ministers to lose sight that, that the difficult people, in a sense, there's still a future where, where you are relationally close and where the kingdom of God goes forward and, and fellowship happens. And man, that's huge. It genuinely is. Awesome. Well... Um, let's dive on the last part of this podcast. Let's dive into some of the godly wisdom that you have gleaned um, over your, you know, many different seasons and roles in ministry. And so the way I love to frame this question is, is what could you say that from your vantage point is something that you've lived your life by some concept or thought or principle that uh, helps you serve God that we think maybe could help a rural pastor do the same? I think keeping some things in focus are I heard this saying years ago, I wasn't able to go to a minister's conference. I listened to the tape and one of the things the speaker said is always stuck in my heart was the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Hmm. I think we need to keep the main things and the plain things in place. Here's some of them. Attempt to keep a white hot love for God because ministry should come out of Love for the Lord is the first commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then keep a, a white hot love for people. So loving God and loving people is, is really a key for ministry. And in that, doing the plain things that aren't very glamorous and the main things, wow. So here's some of them. Always preach biblical messages. Hmm. You don't have to have the most flowery kind of sermon but if it's always biblical people can grow uh love people intently every person that we meet is someone's child or there's someone's mother or there's someone's father that means we also need to do the shepherding side of ministry well love people as you pray for them uh, be faithful in doing the visits that you need to do uh, uh, COVID has made it so we can't do hospital visits quite at the same level. That's picking up a little now. But there's the nursing home, the hospital, uh, the follow-up for the accident, that person that you just know you have to stop by. There's senior adults that need coffee once or twice a month and you just drop in and you spend that 15 minutes and drink coffee with them and and they're just loved intently and they tell all their friends and, and the pastor stopped by to see me today. And those pieces of ministry and then pursue the godly future. It's not what do I want for this church? It's not what do I want for this community? But if God's kingdom came and his will was done in your town, and I think we should pray 
Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my town, America. What would that look like? And we begin to work towards that end in just the daily life of ministry, how we, we want to have the kingdom draw near. The church should be this redemptive community where people are loved like they are never loved any other place, where their gifts are released, where their children become who they're supposed to be. And I believe that the two places that should reflect heaven are first the home and then the mm. church. Those are some awesome words, um, Dwight, and I really love, man, I know, again, it just struck my heart, keep the keep the plain things as the main things, because because they are the main things. I mean, we're living life, you know, that's what we're all is, living life. Something that's been repeated on this podcast um, over and over is that we are there, we are present, we are living life from the cradle to the grave, everything in between. And, uh, and the godly future, man, what a huge concept, because... Again, sometimes it's tempting as pastors to put ourselves in the middle of of God's vision. It's like, well, sure, we get to carry the vision, but we are not, we're not even really in the vision cast. Like we should be praying and saying, God, what is what is best for this community in your mindset, in your eyes, God? What what can we do? Man, what cool stuff. And with that, I've known pastors that uh, I ask, hey, were you at the football game? No, I don't like football. Somebody's son is playing football somebody's grandson it's it's the old concept of the well you go to the well where people gather in the old testament and even in the new testament it's it's not about what we like it's really about how do we genuinely love and engage people and some of our time much of our time in the rural environment is the ministry that happens between mm. sundays yeah, definitely a good reminder. Well, Dwight, I just want to say uh, thank you one more time for jumping on the podcast. I really enjoyed our discussion today. Well, uh, you are welcome. It's great to be with you and uh, appreciate all that you're doing with uh, Rural Advancement Podcast and giving a fresh voice every week to different vignettes of rural ministry. Absolutely. Well, uh, this is unique because, again, Dwight Sandoz is the director of Rural Advancement. But now it's not just me, but we get to say this week, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for jumping on the Rural Advancement podcast. Our hope is that every single week you can tune in and hear rural voices speaking right into what God is doing in your small town and your out-of-the-way place because what you do matters. So uh, feel free to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating or a review. That really helps uh, more people you know, get to hear what we're doing. And uh, we are so thankful for you, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.